of Work Stoppage, an entirely listener-supported socialist labor podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us on the Patreon. And if you're not already in the Discord, please go ahead and hop in there. This is a very special overtime episode. We have with us Gary Banks, who is a worker for the British Royal Mail and a local union rep of CWU, which is the Communication Workers Union. Thank you very much for joining us, Gary. Is there anything else you want to say about yourself? No, that's that's um, that's that's fine. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we'll there's a lot. <laughs> Not too much. Yeah, so so our listeners, if you've been listening to this show for a while, uh, even though most of our listeners are American, uh, folks will know that we've been really trying to follow the strike wave that's been going on in the UK because it's been you know pretty inspirational to see so many you know hundreds of thousands of workers across multiple different sectors out there on strike, and the Royal Mail has been one of the biggest ones there. And so, like, because there's over the last six months and really accelerating over the last two, we've seen more and more big strikes. And in the, the press here in the U.S., the RMT, the, the folks working on the rails, have been, like, the big story because, you know, seeing a train shut down is, is the sort of thing that, you know, gets more, more coverage over here. But I know from our coverage trying to like, cause we've, you know, we've covered the, the dock worker strike at Felix Stowe and, and some of the other folks that have joined in this movement. Uh, I believe the, the Royal mail workers have been the largest single group of strikers out there so far. So I think really to start with uh, Gary, can you tell our listeners about the conditions working at the Royal mail that have led up to, you know, over a hundred thousand workers taking that step of hitting the picket lines? Um, well, obviously it's not, it's not, something workers want to do on a whim. So it has been a build-up. You're quite right in that sense. So we probably we went we went through COVID. Obviously, there was no um, furlough or shutdown for the for the mail workers. We, we were still out there every day. We did take extra precautions. But, you know, it was a tough time. And we came through that. We earned hundreds of millions of pounds for the company because, obviously, people weren't going outside. So everything was getting ordered online. We were delivering everything, basically. And the company decided to reward us with a two percent imposed payoff, not a negotiate, not a negotiated payoff, but they just decided to break off talks with the union and impose a two percent increase, which is nowhere near inflation level, let alone what what we should be getting paid. So that basically kicked it off. Then, then the the union started organising a ballot for strike action because the company just were not interested in negotiating. And so we delivered a 97.6% yes on strike action with the members. And as I say, that's that the membership's around 111,000, 115,000 members. A lot, it's a lot of people. So it's an incredible turnout and result for us that we achieved just through education. And it was, it was, it was an obvious slap in the face, to be honest. It didn't need much agitating for. So, that was one aspect to it, but um, Royal Mail didn't seem to be content with an insult that way. They then came after our terms and conditions that we've fought for over the years. So they then decided that they wanted to tear up 
the legal contract that we had with them and impose new terms, stuff like annualisation of hours, which would be they could just on a whim tell us that we're only going to work so many hours in the summer, but then we'd have to work longer in the winter, stuff like that. Stuff like um, just, as I say, just total total shredding of all, all our rights, basically stuff. Stuff like stuff that's important, like the like, um, sick pay and stuff. If you wanted like the first three days to just be statutory rather than what we get normally. And then, as I say, other stuff that's um, the devil's in the detail, as they say. So it's it, it was all cascading to just a complete complete attack on our members. So for the second strike on the terms and conditions, that delivered a ninety eight point seven percent yes for strike action. So we it actually increased an already incredible result. That was the strength of feeling among the members. And that's basically was was the start of the strike action this summer. Wow. I mean, that really does highlight, you know, some of the ridiculous things that the uh, company has been doing. And I think that that also brings us to uh, some of the conditions that are slightly different also from the people in the United States where I guess we do have some we have mail workers that are in private in, in industry. But um, this is the, the Royal Private Mail really seems like it would be like a nationalized you know, business, and but that is not the case. Uh, I wanted to know if maybe you could explain to the listeners how, you know, the mail was privatized and, like, what that privatization has meant to you and, and the fellow workers. Yeah, well, obviously, the mail, the mail system should be a, a nationalized um, utility and industry, and it was for 400 years until the Lib Dem and Conservative coalition government decided it'd be a good idea to sell it off to um, various preferred bidders, uh, which is basically hedge funds and wealthy private capitalists. So that's basically what they did. They sold it off. They were advised by banks to set the share price at about, I believe it was about £3.30. And it was, a, it was a, by the way, it was also a closed bidding process. It wasn't just open. Mm, so they, they were basically given, given it away to members of the City of London. And I think the second day, I think it was the first day that it went live on the stock market, it more than doubled its price. And <laughs> they, so they basically wow. were given it. So, so the people who bought, who so, so, so-called bought the company then obviously made the money back within a day and still retain control of the company. So it was a literal giveaway to the to the people that control the government, which is obviously the banks and the capitalists. So, and we were obviously told that it, it wouldn't make much of a difference, you know what I mean? This It's all about efficiency. But while we were nationalised, we did do a massive uh, modernisation programme. So the, comp- the company was literally shred of all its fat and excess, basically, and then sold. So they'd already put in all the new technology, and the new technology obviously weren't to benefit the workers because we've never worked harder than we do now. So that's that's what basically happened. And in, since then, we've had incremental lessening of the service for the public and more work for the workers, larger rounds, just more time working. They say that the the technology just makes you work harder. Stuff like PDAs, which which is, which is it's basically what it's an, it's a it's a tactic Amazon do. So they basically track all your movements when you stop, when you move stuff like that and at the moment well up until last week the union did have a an agreement with royal mail that that couldn't be used for disciplinary procedures but royal mail and um, saved notice on all them agreements a few weeks ago and due to the anti-trade union laws we've got in this country they were allowed to do that so wow. we, we, we are under massive attack at the minute which is why the, the workers have got such strength of feeling to push back against the company 
Yeah, well, it's especially egregious just since, like you said, it was basically freely handed to the new owners of the company since they were able to make their money back in a day. Yeah. And then on top of that, with all that free money, you'd think they would at least invest in the company somewhat, but instead they just resort to labor intensification and continuing to try to to squeeze every penny out of it. Um, And in the meantime, they're saying that these cuts and these attacks on, on you and your fellow workers are in order to, quote, stay competitive, but as CWU General Secretary Dave Ward pointed out, the company took in over 700 million pounds in profit last year and paid out 400 million pounds in dividends to shareholders. So how has this been received? How have these uh, blatant lies been received both by the workers and by the regular working class folks in Britain? Well, thankfully, the workers inside Royal Mail, I mean, we we full well know what we do. So that type of propaganda just, just doesn't penetrate our psyche, really. Um, the general public at the minute, they've been quite robust in the support for um, Royal Mail workers, mm-hmm. probably due to the fact that we're in the community every day. We're delivering to people's grandmothers, we're delivering to businesses, we're delivering to everyone, because that, that's that's what Royal Mail does, delivers every day. It's got a legal obligation to deliver to every ad- address every day in the UK. It's one of the um, the best services in the world in that, in that sense. Um, and that's... Again, this is under even that it's called the USO, which is the Universal Service Obligation, which is it basically means that Royal Mail is tasked with providing a service every day. You could be a you could be at one end of the country on, on a, a remote, say, island at the top of Scotland, and if you post a letter, it will get there to the other end of Britain the next day for like a pound. And obviously, that's not wow. cost effective, except the stuff that goes on in the inner cities subsidises it. Obviously, Royal mm-hmm. Mail, owned by finance capital and hedge funds, they want to do away with that, and they just want to concentrate on inner cities and charge more for rural people. So, let's say the attack—it's a multifaceted attack, not only on workers but on the people of Britain, and even I'd say on the economy itself, because Royal Mail basically supports a lot of the small businesses through the service we provide. So, it makes sense why large corporations want to want to do away with it yeah there's it really seems like there's so many parallels to some of the things that have been going on in the u.s like for instance like while our you know postal service here is still controlled by the state there have been moves for decades to try and handicap the system to degrade services in order to justify privatizing it and i think like this is one of those rare cases where you have something nationalized in the US and and not in the UK and it's i think you know a pretty good window for Americans like if anybody here has ever if any of our listeners in the US have ever heard people complain about the postal service and be like well you know stuff from UPS or FedEx or whatever gets to my house faster like it's really important that we pay attention to things like the what's going on in in the UK right now and and what privatization has done to the Royal Mail and is continuing to do and how it continues to get worse and and to your point about the way that the investors and the the major, you know, banks that bought the Royal Mail want to de- further degrade service in in order to not have to to do that sort of like last mile sort of service that is of course never going to be super profitable i think that's a window into exactly what would happen here in the us but on a on a larger scale just because of how physically you know huge 
the U.S. is, there's so much of this country just geographically that would never be profitable for a private enterprise or profitable enough in their eyes to justify doing those sorts of last mile services. And so when we're already seeing these sorts of attacks on the mail service in the UK, I think that's a window into exactly what like politicians here in the U S you know, getting all their payments from their, their capitalist paymasters, what they would like to do here. They'll probably do the same playbook. Well, I mean, without knowing much about uh, the American Postal Service, they're probably doing the same playbook they did with us, which is impose managers with, let's say, an agenda to degrade services, say it's failing. And the only way that they can make it successful will be privatization, which is obviously one of the biggest cons out there. I, think, I don't think there's ever been a privatized industry that's ever benefited the people anywhere. Yeah. So, but they did it, they, the, the playbook in the UK through the Thatcher years, for whatever, I'm not, I mean, we know why it's worked because propaganda works. Um, so they did it with British Rail, they did it with British Gas, the, the telecoms. They just run it into the ground and then pretend bankers are going are gonna to somehow make it better through, um, what's the word that they like to use? Efficiency. Which, Right. Sure. Well, they've been attacking the NHS for a long time as well, right? Yeah, the, the NHS is under, has been under prolonged assault through um, various different guises. First with the Blair government, bizarrely, they, they introduced uh, something called the PFI. It's like a private, public-private partnership, which basically um, hedge funds and the like and banks lend the NHS money at interest, obviously, and then... <laughs> Yeah. Then, then it's then they're paying interest rather than doing services, um, saying they're not going to do certain operations. Blah blah blah. It's 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 the same. It'll be the same playbook with with almost everything. Yeah. I mean, I know one of the things that they were doing for a very long time here is they required the postal service to keep the like union pension fund saved up for something like some ridiculous amount of time. Like they had to have like a like a liquid account. That could pay out, I believe it was 70 years worth of, of pension obligations, which was something which like... Which probably what, what they would never ask of any other company. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like no other no other company was required to have that. But just the USPS, which is like, well, okay, you're clearly trying to force the business to look worse than it is by forcing them to tie up all of this money mm. in a bank account like that. And... We, I mean, we saw, we've seen like removal of, of post boxes all over the country. There's been this huge drag on, on attempts to replace the old crappy uh, postal trucks that we have here with newer electric ones that actually have air conditioning so people aren't baking in the summers here. That's been going on forever and still hasn't happened. So, And we also have like private companies who are like basically paying to have post boxes put on their properties. Oh, yeah. Uh, like in the case of Amazon where they use that to surveil a union election. Wow. Yeah, that was very, very weird. <laughs> I, I guess what my question would be uh, on the heels of all that is like, have you seen any attempt to invest in mail infrastructure in the UK at all since this company changed hands? Or has it just been a, a complete freeze on any kind of development? Um, I, I, this is anecdotal, but um, I've seen the workforce go down since privatization. I think we used to be 150,000 members when I first joined about 17 years ago. I think privatization now is nearly a decade um, so yeah, so now we're down to 115, about 111, 115 thousand members. No, basically, no. So I, 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 
I'd say it's anecdotal, but we have noticed um, just a lack of maintenance. Uh, anything that anything that should that should actually be kept up for like maintenance, uniform, but is an easy it's, it's an easy cost saving measure for them to put out. So it's a, it's actually on the workers in Royal Mail to like check your van, and it's your fault. You're legally um, something to do with the company, even though it's company property. You're legally like liable. Wow. So they, they expect you to be uh, auto mechanics on top of your normal duties. Basically, yeah, you've got to check it every day for tires and everything. If, if there was something on it, if a worker had a crash in a Royal Mail van and they found the tire to be whatever millimeter out, you'd be legally responsible for that. Wow. But, um, That's ridiculous. I know, I know, I know. So it's like, but I'd say the UK has got some, and I'd imagine the same with the United States some unbelievable anti-worker laws and they just keep coming. Yeah. Well, and to go back to the, the strike, uh, one of the things that we saw uh, is a slight difference between like, well, I guess some of the way that some of the strikes set either at the RMT or here at the Royal Mail has been uh, compared to some of the strikes we see in other places is that you uh, tend to do more rolling strikes, um, you know, one to two day strikes rather than, uh, you know, like more like sustained style strikes. Do you, do you mind explaining the strategic thinking behind doing these one day or two day strikes um, announced in advance rather than like an indefinite strike? Well, in, as I say, due to like anti-trade union laws, you've, we've, you've got to announce when we're going to go on strike. I think it's like 28 days. So mm. that, that, that's, that's one issue why, why it's, it's, it's announced first. So that, that allows the company to plan a little bit around it. And the one and two day strikes thing, it's it's probably multifaceted. So at the minute, there's a huge cost of living crisis in the UK, and obviously when we're on strike, we don't get paid. So the union's got to take into account people's circumstances. An all-out strike indefinite would terrify the workers. Do you know what I mean? So it's because obviously, despite what the company says, it's a rich company owned by very rich people, and they'd probably be quite happy to try and starve us out. Um, we are though we are having an impact even with the one or two day strikes because with Royal Mail, their plan, what what the union believe, what I believe too, is that they want to do away with the USO, they want to do away with letters, they just want to be like a souped up, probably what you usually call FedEx or, or something like that. They just want to do because that's where the money is. The money's delivering parcels in, in inner cities. It's not in delivering your birthday card to your Auntie Doris who lives in the outer Hebrides. <laughs> There's no interest to them. So these these strikes do have an effect because other companies, when we see a strike coming up, they, they pull contracts with Royal Mail and give them to competitors. When I say competitors, they're not on. They don't have the the massive reach of Royal Mail. So the one of our competitors used to be called Hermes, and they had such a bad reputation. They had to change the name recently to Every. <laughs> they were leaving parcels like on roofs in bins wow. down the street. So these are like the like the the cowboy competitors, really. But that's basically what Royal Mail wants. Wants what's well, when I say Royal Mail, what's the Royal Mail management want to change Royal Mail into? So these strikes do have an effect on that because obviously they don't want contracts to go to other companies. Sometimes they don't come back, and sometimes they do. And we are we have though. We are about to like um, step up the strike action, so we're about to do 19 days. So rather than everyone in Royal Mail be out on the one day a week, we're spreading it out between delivery, which is the, the section of Royal Mail I work in. That'll be one day. The next day it'll be distribution. 
Um, and then the next day will be processing, so that'll be like inside the huge mail centres. So that should increase the um, the disruption and the problems. Royal Mail Management they're gonna they're gonna have to look to tell the shareholders why they're losing business, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we've got to, we've got a box clever basically in, in these times. That'll be the answer to it, really. And is this also partially because the the strike fund is you know only able to pay out us so much because of like the sheer volume of members or yeah exactly that's it I mean some of the unions will pay members on strike but um, as you can imagine you you can't really pay one hundred and eleven thousand members a weekly wage it, it it runs into million it runs into millions um, I know the bus drivers they recently did do that but they're part of a across industry union called Unite that's got like probably a million members something like that and the bus drivers are a tiny percentage so they, they could take the hit and brilliantly the bus drivers won their demand so we, the, the trade union movement is having wins you know it's it's not all doom and gloom I mean and you know it's like if you, if you don't fight you don't win basically do you know what I mean so Absolutely. You've, you've, mm-hmm. Everyone's fighting at the minute. The bus drivers have been a success. I believe the RMT will will, will have a victory. I think we'll have a victory. And it, it, you've got other industries, industries more, let's say, middle-class industries that are looking to ballot. We've had barristers striking, which is like lawyers in, um, in American terminology. We're having nurses, teachers, pe- people that don't normally strike. They're all, they're all, they're all um, civil servants. They're all wanting to do it now because... The crisis is just is getting that big for people. You know what I mean? People are having to choose between whether eating or heating, really, the homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think that that would be a, a good good time to get into that because, you know, we can – I can read stuff that's in BBC or, or The Guardian or Morningstar and, and, and talk about, you know, the numbers. But I, I don't know. Can Even if it's just anecdotes from yourself or folks that you know – can can you tell our listeners like how bad the the crisis of of you know cost of living is really has has gotten in the UK recently? Massive. I'll, I'll be honest. It's it's massive. Like um, heating bills, gas, electricity, they're going up hundreds of a percentage. Not just like a couple of percent here and there. I we're, we're looking at like over a hundred a hundred percent increases year on year. So people are literally like wondering whether they can eat, heat the home. They're, they're trying to make trade-off. There's even talk of having... I mean, you probably know we have food banks here in the UK. There's even talks of having heat banks where people can go just to keep warm. This is... Oh, wow. it, it, it really is... Um, it, it, it's stark. And it, it hasn't even hit home yet, to be honest. I think a certain percentage of the population is sort of like... It's too big for them to sort of wrap their head around. That sure. The problems they're facing. So it, it is tough at the minute. And it all it has a massive knock on effect. So I think like pastas up fifty percent, butters up. Uh, uh, all it's just essential items are going up. It's not like um, you know mango juice or whatever. You know what I mean? This is like this. <laughs> right. This right. is like this is um, it's just life staples that are going up. Absolutely. Um, and then on the the point about you know this because of how how this crisis is affecting everyone, uh, the whole working class in Britain, um. I think one of the things that's been so interesting and inspirational about watching this movement over is that even when, you know, you, you have to do these one day strikes, occasionally a two day strike. I think that one of the things that we've seen with 
the movement right now that we maybe haven't seen here in the U.S. has been the level of occasional coordination between multiple different unions that are on strike. Because, like, I know, for instance, I think it was what, like last week there was a, a day when both the RMT and the the Royal Mail Workers were on strike. I also think some nurses might have been on strike at the same time when there were over like 200,000 people on picket lines at the same time. Uh, has have as somebody, you know, who's actually been involved with these strikes, because it's one thing, you know, I can again, I can I can read about this all happening at the same time. Do you notice that like when you're out on the picket line has there been crosstalk between say the RMT and the CWU and some shared solidarity? Yeah, there is there's massive solidarity solidarity to be honest um, we, we had a meeting last month where TRMT were actually picketing um, just down the road so they came into our meeting we went to their picket line offered solidarity the leaders are quite close um, with the unions um, so it is all building and what, what's also been very heartening is the public's response to the picket lines They've, I mean I've been on obviously a lot recently but every member right. of the public, even the ones who are turning up to the to the delivery office trying to get a parcel, you know, once we tell them they're on strike, they're like, "Great, good luck." And um, so, even though they're inconvenienced, they're not they're not um, they're not being negative about it. They're, they're being quite positive about it. A guy gave us um, forty pound on last ticket oh, line just to get us to, to get us all a coffee, which I thought was was brilliant. You know what I mean? So. The public's being great. Um, I say the trade union movement has been energised. Everyone's sort of feeding off each other at the minute. So even the more, the less, let's say, firebrand unions are starting to get um, are starting to get a taste for action now, which is it's what we need, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that's a, a direct result of the cost of living crisis? Yeah. Just that it kind of naturally forces that that higher level of class consciousness? Yeah, it does. It does. It's um, it's the material conditions of the people that, that that's what drives change. Um, the cost of living crisis today it's huge, and that is that is driving um, driving the people to, to do something about it. And normally the BBC and stuff, their propaganda will cut through when people have got you know when pe- when when people are okay, you can divide society quite easily. But things like electricity, gas, food, that unites everyone across across society so i don't think the propaganda is cutting through like it used to yeah because that was actually something i i, I was going to ask but we kind of have already talked about it because that i mean i know like when these strike waves really started to pick up in the like late summer <laughs> i saw so many videos from a lot from like sky news and and and, and all sorts of other and of course, right wing rags like the Daily Mail and stuff like that, uh, just, you know, attacking the workers as being selfish and like disrupting daily life. I, I think I even saw some maybe it might have been a Tory politician or somebody like essentially saying that, like shutting down the rails was somehow benefiting Vladimir Putin in some way. Yeah, yeah. But, and that's kind of what I wanted to get at is that like this stuff seems so ridiculous, even with the level of like, di- like distance that we have from it. But I, it sounds like from what you've been telling us, like, I mean, they can say all this stuff, but it doesn't really sound like it's had much of an impact on, you know, the regular working class people in, in, the, in Britain. No, I, I, I do remember that the Putin soundbite. I think that's how desperate they are, they are now. They're trying to tie in right. striking rail workers with the Kremlin. So, 
you know, if, if, if we're at that, if we're at that, that stage, we, we are winning on that sense. Um, yeah, I'd say the normal propaganda just is not cutting through like it used to. Um, people know, people understand why people are on strike at the moment. It's um, mm-hmm. it's not like the the, the stuff the the, the left wing union boss baron stuff doesn't work anymore. I say the the Putin stuff. I mean, it's as I say, where this is where this is where they're going to now because it just isn't cutting through like it used to. And I, and I mean, despite the wall to wall non-stop propaganda by the BBC, by Sky News, um, especially the BBC. Let's just be honest about it. That um, we we've had huge protests that the BBC barely will cover. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll they give token coverage, but that's. It's it's not going anywhere. The public are, are solidly behind um, striking works at the minute. Long may continue. Absolutely. I mean, you guys had that uh, uh, financial expert on television, Martin Lewis, oh, who would always give people. Yeah, very popular. He, I think what he I, famously gave up back in March, right? He was like, "I can't help you anymore. There's no way to save enough money to pay this." Yeah, it's. I mean, to be honest, he, he's a great communicator, and what's what I think why he's cut through so much with the public is he's not the usual person saying it he's a, he's a middle class mm-hmm. finance finance guy do you know what i mean so it's not like mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's it's not like it's mick lynch it's not like it's um, right. dave ward it's not you know what i mean it's, it's it, this is a guy who's who's built his whole career on being so-called smart with your money and investing and he he, he knows in stark terms normal people are going to suffer massively and you know he's one of the few who's had a conscience about it and, and and he's talked about it he's got a, he's got a huge following at the minute so I say all, all all power to him for that. He's almost he's almost like a class trait to the other way. So that's <laughs> right. um, that's good. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Whenever you're seeing portions of the middle class split off and recognize the problems affecting the workers, I mean, that's a sign that the class struggle is very much uh, sharpening there. And and to that point, our, our uh, I mean, folks will be well aware of the <laughs> recent debacle that was the very short-lived Liz Truss prime ministership uh the tories seem to just be throwing dartboards at whoever the richest member of their party is to be prime minister um of course none of them are offering anything whatsoever that'll help anybody just going to make the conditions even worse than they already are um meanwhile at least again from from across the the ocean it doesn't really seem like labor is offering much of a a real counter proposal to to what the the tories have been on offering especially since the purge of of some of the more leftish members of labor following you know the the going after corbin but at the at the same time we are seeing as you've said like all of this support for the union movement and the union movement coming out strong being in the streets and really making a difference and so how do you see this current movement, the the struggle against the the cost of living crisis, the upsurge by the unions, how do you see that playing out with the class struggle in England? Like, where where do you see this going well, from here? I mean, I, I, I don't want to be too pessimistic, obviously, but um, Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer, the Labour leader and the Conservative leader, did the you know they're the two cheeks of the same ass, basically, which is the British ruling class. So. <laughs> You, 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 a Keir Starmer-like government is not going to do anything for the working class in this country. Like, we've just got to be honest about it. There's a reason 
he's there. There's a reason they've done the page of Jeremy Corbyn. And I think I've seen something last year where it was a report. I don't know whether it was The Guardian or, or something that said the campaign against Jeremy Corbyn was the biggest peacetime propaganda campaign in Britain ever. Uh, wow. It was based on nothing. It, 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 it basically this study when it was, I think it was reported in the Guardian. Even though the Guardian was one of the biggest culprits for right. for these attacks um, on Jeremy Corbyn and other other people in the Labour movement. So, but I mean, the positive the positive thing is politicians only ever do anything for the people when the people get up and mm-hmm. make them do it. Basically, so the the workers rising up through the trade unions and stuff, that will shake the tree a little bit. Hopefully, Keir Starmer won't last long as long as um, as long as he thinks he will, and he, and he will have to move. I say that it, the crisis is so big in the UK, something will happen. You know, it's not. The, it's, I'm going to say it's the classic um, Rosa Luxemburg quote, quote um, socialism or barbarism, but it's basically it is basically that. I will say it's it is that we're at that stage now. So um, and I don't. This country doesn't want a taste for barbarism, really. I think we, we want socialism. The man in the street wants socialism. The woman at work wants socialism. That, that's what we want. And um, hopefully, it, it'll you know it, we're gonna have a we'll have to have a crack at it because the alternative is is um, it's dystopian, really. So yeah, let, let's hope that the Labour Party will will move to the left. It won't under Keir Starmer, but you know politics can change quickly sometimes. Well, yeah. I mean, have you noticed that the the working class energy has been heightened not just in in the workplaces, but also just in a general political sense? Like, are people becoming more receptive to further left wing politics, or just more polarized? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, not yeah. It, I'll be honest with you. I think left wing um, left wing ideas is is more receptive to workers at the minute. You know what I mean? So you can you can talk to fellow workers about things, and we're in. Let's say before now, before very recently, ideas about nationalising and vital infrastructure and stuff like that they weren't popular because it just weren't reaching people's normal lives. I didn't care, but now people are a lot more receptive and happy to talk about. You know what? Why do we have um, a rail industry that's owned predominantly by hedge funds and foreign governments through? Through Germany or France, and same with the power, the power industry. Same with, um, same with basically in the UK. Same with basically every infrastructure is, is privately owned. And the the perverse thing is, we're always told in this country, hammered home by the various propaganda organs, that the state can't be involved in in anything. Basically, in in let's say in in, in the energy in the energy sector or the transport sector. And a perverse reality is the French state owns a lot of the British power industry. Really, yeah. <laughs> wow. And the German state owns a lot of uh, trains and buses. So obviously it's, 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 it's just a game for these people. A lot, you know, a, a lot of yeah. it's still owned by hedge funds and private capitalists as well, but that's the, that's always what they hide behind. We can't do it. It's not efficient, but you know, it's, 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 it's not cutting through anymore. All that. And there is an appetite now for them. Um, I think the latest opinion polls, the vast majority, I'd say 60, 60-odd percent plus, is in favour of nationalising all the utilities and all major infrastructure. So 
politicians will have to at least pay lip service to these these type of ideas that the public are having at the minute. Don't, I don't think the idea of publicly owned energy has ever been as popular as in the UK right now because we've got a we've got a situation now where the UK has its North Sea oil and mm. um, we sell it on the on the open market in a cost of living crisis when like it's 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 beyond logic it's beyond reason what they're doing and they won't be able to get away with it forever and I say people are waking up and sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's fast paced but um. I think it's gathering pace now, so let's hope let's hope it does. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I guess kind of in that idea of you know people kind of uh, waking up to the the plight of many people. I know that one other thing that has been a real struggle in in Britain and the UK has been the struggle for like trans rights and stuff like that. I was wondering if the if the unions and stuff like that, if you've seen kind of a shift towards a more acceptingness of of you know people of marginalized identities like LGBTQ folks um i know that this wasn't in our questions but it kind of occurred to me to, to ask that if you've seen a more progressive approach to that sort of thing coming with some of these struggles um, being honest the, the unions are that well, my, my union's very progressive anyway and um, you know we're very in, in, we're very inclusive everyone we have a pride month stuff we have stuff on on pride month last when it was when it was um yeah trans rights and stuff. I, there's no unions in the uk that are anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ or whatever, they're all very progressive on that front. I'm not going to say it's not an issue, but there's not an internal pushing against it, if you know what I mean. Well, that's, that's a little heartening to hear, considering uh, the, a lot of, especially, it's difficult for us to see, as we've mentioned a couple times, being, you know, on, on this side of the ocean, the, a lot of what we hear is stuff from, like, The Guardian or, or, or the BBC, which tends to uh, really not give a damn <laughs> i think i think it's in their interest to take the um the fight basically into into stuff like uh, rather than focus on economics i think they try and make it into a, like a, a culture war type thing that i think you have a lot more in the united states where um i think people are quite chilled about um pride and stuff like that in the uk so it doesn't really cut through Maybe it has cut through a little bit more with the, with the trans issue, but um, I'll say this: I don't think there's an appetite in the. Except they love having these punch and Judy talking heads, don't they? So it is sort of they will push a rabid anti-trans activist when really is that um, is that representational of the, of the general public? I don't think so. People are quite um, I'm not going to say nonplussed, but I, I don't think they're really like rabid anti-trans people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've ever heard any anti-trans rhetoric at work. So, yeah, thank you for the insight on that. Um, I was wondering, was there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we, uh, that you know, the listeners knew about what sort of actions are going on? Uh, even if we do have some listeners in uh, Britain and the UK, uh, how you know maybe they should be you know prepared to show solidarity at certain times or or other sorts of. Um, you know things that people can do to to support you all in your struggle. Um, a big thing is is um, obviously don't cross the picket line. Don't be a scab. Don't um, you know go to work for these agencies and basically cut cut a fellow worker's throat. Basically, um, we'll mail our struggler when we're on strike because despite them, the way do you think we're unskilled workers? It turns out bosses can't do the job that we can do. So. <laughs> You know, and 
don't do that. We, 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 as I say, we, we're in this perverse um, lack of reason thing with Royal Mail where they're telling, telling us the workers they can't pay us more, but they're offering scabs more of an hourly rate than we get. So, mm-hmm. yep. you know, it's like they're trying to bribe us. Um, no, but the, I say the public's been very supportive. I know I know the CW is setting up a strike fund. Um, I don't know. I haven't got the link to it yet. I don't think it's fully set up yet. And maybe people could, if you want to, can, could contribute to that. But to be honest, if you just drive past one of our picket lines and you beep your horn, that gives a lot of air. That, that gives the, the, the guys and the girls and everyone, gives us a, a little bit of inspiration. You know what I mean? So, yeah, just um, just keep supporting us that way. Um, basically, it really. I'm trying to think if, if I've missed anything out. don't think so, unless you want me to, unless you think I've missed anything out. Uh, no, I that's think, great. I think I think we've hit uh, all the main points. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, I want to thank you so much for coming on and explaining a lot of this stuff to us and our listeners because you know it's, it's not easy to to parse this, and we do our best to report from all the way over here. But it's not all. It's not the same, you know, than hearing it from you know an actual you know labor leader and 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 worker. Well, I was I was impressed with the I was impressed with the questions actually because. Um, because it is difficult. It's difficult for me to pass through sometimes. Like you know what I mean. Like um, as I say, it's just as I say, Brian Mail at the minute they're attacking us on on all fronts, and it is difficult. I mean, I'd say hopefully I've um, managed to put across what is going on, what is at stake. Um, it's I'm talking about like maybe I, I went fully um, ex- explaining about like the it's pays a big issue, but the terms and condition changes really. They are really trying to force a lot of the workforce out of oil mail. Mm-hmm. So they want to change the, the start times by three hours. And they want to make you work Sundays. And it would have a massive material impact on people's lives, like from just picking children up from school, family time. Um, I'd say the, the annualization of hours. So from one week to the next, you could be working seven till seven. Then the other week or the other month, you could be working nine till 12 it's just mm. it's the whole gig economy on steroids basically um and unfortunately we've got a government which is so ideological in its neoliberal stance i think the ceos across britain think now's the time to attack to attack the workers viciously so well not to be a pessimist about it i think we'll win you know what i mean but like it's it's not easy it's not easy it's tough you know what I mean? So, basically, but thank you for um, offering me a platform to, to talk about our dispute and um, to look at that being. Absolutely. And solidarity to you and all of the workers over there. Uh, we've been talking to Gary Banks, a worker at the British Royal Mail, a local union rep for CWU. And it was such an honor to, to be able to actually have a, a real discussion about what's been going on there. And uh, so we really want to also you know thank all of the people who are supporting our show it's what allows us to actually do these interviews and uh you know if you get this and you don't support the show you know make sure to also reach out and support you know our comrades abroad but also you know the show so that we can do these sorts of things in the meantime i hope you all have a a wonderful time and a good strike and as always Labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. That's right. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Solidarity forever.